Hey, before we go to this podcast, let me say a few things about the mentorship group. As leaders, we know that we need the wisdom of a mentor to help us focus on what matters and avoid costly mistakes. Yet too often, finding that person we trust and who's experienced is impossible. And then if we do find them, then on the other side of the world, or it's too expensive, or they just don't have the time. I've been mentoring people now for over 30 years in a one-on-one basis. And at the start of this year, I've been thinking a lot about how I can mentor more people, how I can help more people. So I have created an online community called the Mentorship Group. Here you'll be able to join me live for monthly group mentorship sessions. You can ask me questions, anything you like, whatever you are in the world, for a fraction of the cost that this would be in a one-to-one mentorship situation. You can be part of this new intimate conversational community, getting answers and breakthroughs and insights that all of us need. Everyone needs a mentor, so let me be yours. Head to www.thementorshipgroup.com and sign up today. So that's the mentorshipgroup.com and I look forward to chatting with you all there. Well, I'm going to speak to you about something again. I wish someone had explained to me in my younger years, especially in ministry, and especially in ministry in a charismatic Pentecostal kind of church. Your church and our church would fall into that tribe. Most days we're happy to be in that tribe. Some days, not so much. Some of our times our Pentecostal charismatic tradition has not served as well. And I think in this area too especially. Where this came to me from, the idea to speak to people about this came to me from recently, I was invited to speak at a corporate event in London at a wealth management company in London. And uh, I do speak at corporate events too. And so they asked me to speak on the title was Life Without Limits. And it was the picture, the, the, the media they had for the event was the picture of a man planting a flag on the top of Mount Everest. Life Without Limits sounds cool, sounds trendy, sounds exciting, sounds look good on a t-shirt, Life Without Limits. Only problem is, there's no such thing as life without limits. So the, so the news I had to break to them was, well, I can come and I'll speak at your event, but if I speak on that title, I'm going to have to redefine it. I'm going to have to explain to the people at the conference that there is no such thing, but explain why I think we believe that that's true, but why it is impossible to be true, and I'll reframe it and speak about that if you like. And I said, I love, your, I love your media, the man planting a flag on top of Everest, but if you take a pygmy and put him on top of Everest, he's no taller. It's just a small person on top of a big thing. And I have realized building church all my life that you should never put small people in charge of big things. I've got into a lot of trouble doing that. And small people are people usually that are emotionally expensive. Just look straight at me right now, all of you. Some of you are like, he's talking about you. Are you here? So I'm going to speak to you about my reframing of that idea. And my version of that is going to be called the gift of limitation. The gift of limitation. I try to work hard on my titles. A good title is one that you'll remember years later. 
like, like a song or a book or a movie. A good title is one that when you remember the title, the content of the message instantly comes back to your recall. A bad title is one that doesn't do that to you, like faith. What are you teaching on, Pastor? Faith. Oh, okay. And people have been in the meeting, they say, what did he speak about? What did she speak about? Faith. Oh, okay. What about faith? Uh, I don't know, but it was great. <laughs> and in my communication masterclass, which Donovan mentioned, one of the things I teach is that your freshness as a communicator, the freshness of what we say is never in the topic. It's never in the subject because there's nothing new to say, really, unless you dig for it, about David and Goliath. It's always going to be David. It's always going to be Goliath. It's always going to be Moses that crossed the Red Sea. It's always the same players. So if we're going to teach you from these same scriptures that we've taught for hundreds of years, we better find an angle. The freshness is in the angle, not in the topic, but in the angle you find within the topic. So this is an angle within the idea of limitation. And I believe limitation is a gift. And I want you to leave tonight with three takeaways to go home with. First of all, I want to reframe your thinking about limitation, as I just said, and see it as a gift. Because accepting the limitations that you can't change, and we all have them, limits you, if you like, or frees you, or pushes you towards the limitations that you can change. Secondly, I want you to know the difference between limitations of design and limitations of of default. A limitation of design is why laptops don't make toast. But we don't send the laptop back as useless because we know it was never created to make toast. Some of you were never created to make toast. I'm using it as a metaphor now because some of you really can't make toast, can you? And it's a big issue in your relationship. But I didn't mean that, so stay with me. It's a metaphor. And then I want you to finally understand, if we have time, what I think is the greatest secret limitation of all that nobody tells about, most people don't know about, but we should if we want to understand the nature of limitation. The first time I became aware, I suppose, institutionally, of the curse and tyranny of limitation, I suppose, in the way that it was put to me, was at school at 15 when I went to see the careers advisor. And he said to me, and I went to a school where, you know, the thick, stupid kids went, is how it, that was the feel. I failed my exams at 11. We all had exams in our country at 11 years of age. On the basis of the results that day, your following six years of education went one of three ways. Grammar school for the kids that passed the test, the smart kids, Technical school for the kids that kind of did average in the test. Those that failed went to secondary school, comprehensive schools. They became known as eventually, well, that's where I went. So when the careers advisor sat me down at 15 and said to me, kind of one after the other, we sat down. He said to me, what do you want to do for a job? And I said to him, I want to be a fighter pilot. And he laughed at me like, you get real. That is not an option for you. That's an option for the grammar school kids, but not for people that come to this school. So he laughed in a way that I knew he didn't take me serious. So he said, no, no. He said, I'm serious. What, what, what do you want to do? What would, you, what would be your ideal job? I said, I told you, I want to be a fighter pilot. 
So realizing that I wouldn't let go of this fantasy, in his opinion, he said to me, well, let me ask you, what does your dad do? What does your dad do? Meaning, whatever your dad does is what I think you should think about doing because this was the day and age of apprenticeships. And so if my dad had a certain job, I knew he would say to me next, well, maybe your dad could get you an apprenticeship. What does your dad do? So he said to me, what does your dad do? So I said to him, my dad is a serial killer. <laughs> I did. I should have known then I was destined to be a rebel and a revolutionary. I said, my dad's a serial killer. He said, what? Excuse me? What did you say? I wanted to say that to him so he couldn't say to me, perhaps he can get you an apprenticeship. <laughs> I wanted to shortcut the script. I wanted to take the script off him and tear it up and throw him. Of course, he just saw me as rude and as out of control and tried to fix me. But I realized at 15 years of age that the system was stacked against me, that the system, and some of you are in a system, and if you're at school, you're in a massive education system. The education system in this country, and in our country, and in generally westernized education systems, is killing our kids. Every parent in here, more than ever, you have to get involved in, 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 in nurturing your kids, because schools are killing them. Schools are obsessed with tests and exams that tell you nothing about your child. What we're interested in is the flourishing of people. It's a big passion of my life to invest in people so that they can flourish because I believe we have a crisis of human flourishing all around the world because natural resources are buried deep in the ground and they're very complicated and expensive to reach. So are human resources. The best parts of you your particular genius and brilliance is way below the surface. And if no one helps you to figure it out, if you're not in cultures like this church, where our culture is geared towards championing your potential, towards helping you get out your brilliance, because school won't help you do it. So we have to find other places where we get around people that are not going to say to us, what does your dad do, and stop you there. As if that's the limitation of your life, what does your dad do. So I realized early on that I must not accept, nor must you, these imposed limitations that are put on us by where you were born, the color of your skin, your socioeconomic background, the education system, the system of the country that you're in, apartheid that this country came out of, was an institutionalized, limiting, non-believing in people's potential system. And thank God that that is over, but it's still not over in many people's mentalities. We've still got a long way to go, as we have in America with the whole black-white race issues there, because I also have a home in America, spend a lot of time there. So, as I got into my late teens, early 20s, I had an epiphanal, uh, defining, life-changing experience around about 20 years of age. I call, it, I call it the yellow that triggered the green. The yellow that triggered the green. Now, I got married when I was 16, and by the age of 20, I had three kids. I know. I told you I was 95. 
I have been married now for 45 years and have four children. And our first daughter, uh, Charlotte, who herself is in ministry all around the world, and Charlotte and her husband now pastor the church that I handed over to them in 2012. Um, she was born when I was 16. She wasn't planned, you know what I'm talking about. She was five months old before we got married. Most people caught date, get engaged, get married. We just bypassed all that stuff and just had a kid. <laughs> then my wife and I had twins. I know. People go, oh, fantastic. No, 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 come in, let me talk to you a little bit. Because <laughs> I didn't sleep for three years. So by the time I'm 20, I've got three kids. I'm living in uh, a council house, uh, a government-owned house, you might call it, the projects they call them in America, and it had a bright yellow front door. Because in the council houses, the government houses, this was how it worked. This is how the painting scheme went. Blue, green, yellow. Blue, green, yellow. And the house you moved into was forever that color. You couldn't paint it any other color. You couldn't, you couldn't mess with it. It was government-controlled, government-policed, government-backed-up color scheme. And so if you moved into a yellow house and thought, oh, you know what, I'll just change that, you realize then you can't. All the woodwork, all the, all the front door, the, the, the frames, the glass frames were all painted. And I'm talking bright canary yellow. That yellow there, that's the only picture I could find. I couldn't find the picture of my house, but it's kind of like that. So blue, green, yellow. So, so we were yellow. And I was about 20, and I had three kids, and we were broke. And I was in a job that I hated, but I had to kiss that frog to pay the bills because we had three kids, and, and we were not doing well, and we were struggling in our relationship and fighting and arguing all the time because we just were so young and so stressed out and didn't have any help, and I just felt so, I felt such a failure in not being able to change that, not lifting us out of that, and you know, I didn't have a good relationship with my dad. One of the books I wrote was called, I Am Not My Father, as, as, as a commentary about that situation with my dad, um, but I remember feeling about 20, I am a total repeat of my dad, that I would not want to be him. I don't want to repeat his life, but I'm kind of defaulting to becoming like my dad because I feel powerless, which my dad felt all his life. I have no money. My dad didn't all his life. I resent my life, and my dad resented his life all of his life, and we grew up around that moodiness and that aggression, which became violence and drinking in him. And I thought, I can see the beginnings here of me becoming a repeat of my dad. And, and, and one morning, I opened the curtains to, to get up and, you know, start the feeding routine and then set off to walk to work. I worked in a carpet factory and I was going to set off to work. I opened the curtains and there's a guy on a ladder painting my house bright yellow. A council workman, a government employed painter, painting my house yellow. I opened the curtains, he did the worst thing or the best thing he could have done. I opened the curtains and he went, <laughs> winked at me like, good morning, I'm painting your house, I'm doing you a favor, aren't you glad I'm painting your house? But it had a different effect in me. It woke up the incredible Hulk in me. The passive Dr. David Banner version of me that have been going along with this life I didn't like, 
that morning something happened. You, you've all had and will have moments like this. Sometimes you can't see them coming. Sometimes the way they arrive is a bit odd, a bit weird. It's hard to explain to someone. Something just happens. You see something, feel something, experience something, and something just goes off inside you. What you've got to do then is not calm down. Last thing some of you need to do is calm down. You've been too calmed down for a long time. What we, need, what we need you to find is this person inside of you because everybody has one. Every single one of us has the equivalent of an incredible Hulk, angry, I'm done with this, I won't have this anymore person in us. And mine had gone to sleep. And that morning, the council painter, painter woke up the incredible Hulk in me. And I turned to my wife and I said, right, that's it. I'm done with this. The guy's paint. I don't even have the power to determine the color of my own house. Never mind, do I want it painting today? It's yellow. It's been yellow for years. And the man winked at me. How rude. How cheeky. He winked at me. I said to my wife, and I'm ranting as she is feeding the babies, and I'm ranting about the painter, and she said to me, well, what are you going to do about it? I said, uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out of this crummy job. I'm going to get a job that pays me more money, and I'm going to start saving. We're going to buy our own house. So she said to me, go ahead and make my day. <laughs> So I was so angry and I kept that anger alive in me and I went out and started to look for a job and I thought I'm going to get a job in keeping with my strengths. I talked about that so with you strengthening. I hadn't figured out by then what all my strengths were but I knew I could talk. The gift of the gab, some people call it. So I thought, you know what? I'll get a job selling stuff. My idea being, if I can get a job selling stuff as a salesman, I'll get a car as well. And we'll have transport, because we had no transport. We were in the church that I pastored for 30 years, but we didn't live in the city. We were getting three buses every Sunday morning with our kids, taking them to church every Sunday morning for years, and we didn't have a car. So the idea of a car that was provided with a job to me was an ideal scenario. So I went, long story short, I got a job as a salesman. I started saving for the first two or three years, and I saved up enough money to, buy, to get a deposit on a house, to get a mortgage, to buy a house, and I was the first Scanlon ever the first Scanlon ever to own our own house. It was kind of a, it was kind of a, no big deal to people that have always owned their house, but, but it was, it was precedent setting. It was, it was barrier breaking in our family, as is some of the things that you have and you will go on to do in your life. And, and for me, to buy our own house and to take my little family to our own house. And I remember in the first week, I painted my front door. I'll tell you now, it was not yellow. And so this has to happen, I think, in some shape or form in life for all of us. And it needs to happen for us corporately and organizationally and politically. And in so many ways, we need the equivalent of something like the yellow that triggers the green. Something in your life that makes you feel, okay, I, I'm done with this. I, I'm, I'm so done with this. And it wakes up this other part of you 
that has been passive for too long, this is how we begin to figure out the difference between limits of design and limits of default. Let me speak to you about limits of design and limits of default so that you can understand the gift of one and the non-gift of the other. Limits of design is stuff that you were born with. So the physiology, the DNA, the biology, the limitations that God gave you. So you're never going to be Beyonce. And you have to accept that. You're never going to be Taylor Swift or Ed Sheeran or Mo Farah or whatever figure you aspire to. You have to accept these God-given limitations. If you can accept the limitations by design, you were designed not to be able to do that stuff. It then frees you to not waste your time trying to make a limitation of design into a strength because you can't do it. And we wish, we wish people would tell that to these people that go on Africa's Got Talent or whatever you call that show here. <laughs> these talent shows where these kids get on stage and they interview their friends and parents before they get up and they say, oh, she's going to blow you away. I'm telling you now, she's, he, he's unbelievable. Oh, man. And, and then, and we all know, don't we, what's coming. Then the kid gets on stage and it's a train wreck. And when the judges say what we all know, they get offended. And now the parents get offended. And they slam the door behind them, cursing the judges. That's, that's not accepting a limitation by design. And if you accept limitations by design, you will not spend seasons of your life trying to make toast when you're a laptop. Trying to be... Trying to be... Beyonce, when you are beyond uh, doing that. <laughs> and what happened just then? Well, thanks again for listening to today's podcast. I hope you found it beneficial. And uh, I know time is precious commodity for us all, but I would love it if you would take the time to write a review or comment. And above all, maybe subscribe to my podcast channel. Thank you. <laughs>